Magic Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Rudolf Steiner's An Outline of Occult Science, The Cognition of the Higher Worlds, Initiation, Part 3. The inner excellence of the stage of imaginative cognition is attained through the fact that the soul meditations described are supported by what we may call familiarizing oneself with sense-free thinking. If one forms a thought based upon observation in the physical world, this thought is not sense-free. It is, however, not a fact that man is able to form only such thoughts. Human thought does not need to become empty and without content when it refuses to be filled with the results of sense observations. The safest and most evident way for the student of the spiritual to acquire such sense-free thinking is to make his own, in thinking, the facts of the higher world that are communicated to him by spiritual science. It is not possible to observe these facts by means of the physical senses. Nevertheless, the student will notice that they can be grasped mentally if he has sufficient patience and persistence. We are not able to carry on research in the higher worlds without training, nor can we make observations in that world. Yet without higher training, we are able to understand the descriptions of spiritual researchers, and if someone asks, how can I accept in good faith what these researchers say since I am unable to perceive the spiritual world myself, then this is completely unfounded. I find it slightly problematic what Steiner says here about, um, well, the point of training aside, that some people would question whether they should rely on the spiritual wisdom or perceptions of someone trained when they themselves can't see it. That's, uh, I think, might maybe outdated uh, or archaic, or it, it really does challenge and border on a slight sense of, you know, egotistical guru stuff, trust me that I can perceive it even though you can't, when in fact we're talking about a thing that doesn't have uh, objective tests. It's not scientific in that sense, really. I mean, if I have a spiritual perception and I say, you just need to trust it because you can't see it yourself, uh, I'm, let's say, uh, you know, I'm full of bunk. For it is entirely possible, merely by reflecting on what is given, to attain the certain conviction that what is communicated is true. 
And if anyone is unable to form this conviction through reflection, it is not because it is impossible to believe something one cannot see, but solely because his reflection has not been sufficiently thorough, comprehensive, and unprejudiced. Right, so here Steiner's saying, like, if you, if you contemplate on it and it come, you can find that something you are told, uh, a transmitted wisdom might be true if you contemplate it enough. But he's also saying that if you don't understand it, that's the onus is on you to make better sense of it and develop more spiritually, which again is, is, is a problematic thing we see with some of these archaic um, spiritualities, but also even modern spiritualities. This is just a problem with spiritual people saying, I've learned this thing because I'm spiritual, and if you don't understand it, it's because you're not spiritual enough yet, so listen to me more. Uh, this is actually something to be wary of. Steiner says, in order to gain clarity in regard to this point, we must realize that human thinking, when it arouses itself with inner energy, is able to comprehend more than is usually presumed. For in thought itself, an inner entity is already present that is connected with the supersensible world. He's sort of deflecting here from the bad point that he's made about <clears throat> that, that promotes guruism and the idea of once you're as spiritual as I am, you'll understand and agree with what I think, which is, it's, it's just horrible. The soul is not, usually not conscious of this connection because it is accustomed to developing the thought faculty only by employing it in the sense world. It therefore regards communications from the supersensible world as something incomprehensible. There's nothing wrong, of course, with us developing ourselves so that we better understand what we don't understand. Just be wary of people saying that you need to understand what they understand, and if you don't, it's because you're <laughs> less developed. It's very arrogant. These communications, however, are not only comprehensible to a mode of thinking taught through spiritual training, but for every sort of thinking that is fully conscious of its own power and that wishes to employ it. By making what spiritual research offers increasingly one's own, one accustoms oneself to a mode of thinking that does not derive its content from sense observations. And that's actually a really good point. <clears throat> what Steiner's saying here is, when you don't understand a certain framework or a paradigm, especially a spiritual one, you can gain understanding that you don't have by learning more about it and adopting and working within it. And you should test things out for yourself with your own conscience and your own mind and come to your own conclusions. That is absolutely essential and a huge part of the path of being a, a self-empowered initiate rather than a lemming following some guru or just what society tells you to do. Steiner lived in a time when a lot of people would call such spiritual researchers crazy because they didn't understand even the very basis of spirituality but were judging it on more scientific or modern thought and that is a problem with these early spiritual researchers who refer to their studies as science, occult science. I mean spirituality is not science. We know this very distinctly today and Part of the problem of these older writers is they really believed that spirituality was uncovering new scientific truths, while in fact all it was doing was trying to supplement the lack of scientific knowledge we had with spiritual epiphanies. But spirituality should inspire and encourage scientific discovery, but it can't replace it, and it can't certainly take the place of actual science. But Steiner's essential gesture in his teachings is to get 
individuals to become aware of their own perceptions and take greater ownership of their own spiritual progress. That is the, the fundamental thing. You can see where he's reaction, his reactionaryism to other uh, stresses in his field. That's what's going on in this chapter in particular. We learn to recognize how, in the inner reaches of the soul, thought weaves into thought. How thought seeks thought, although the thought associations are not affected by the power of sense observation. This is a really crucial point. The essential in this is the fact that one becomes aware of how the thought world has an inner life, of how one, by really thinking, finds oneself already in the region of a living, supersensible world. One says to oneself, there is something in me that fashions a thought organism. I am, nevertheless, at one with this meaning. And there you see a definition of egregore before there was one. By surrendering oneself to sense-free thinking, one becomes conscious of the existence of something essential flowing into our inner life, just as the characteristics of sense objects flow into us through the medium of our physical organs when we observe by means of our senses. The observer of the sense world says to himself, outside in space there is a rose. It is not strange to me, for it makes itself known to me through its color and fragrance. One needs now only to be sufficiently unprejudiced in order to say to oneself when sense-free thinking acts in one, something real proclaims its presence in me that binds thought to thought fashioning a thought organism. Yeah, and that's where Steiner really shines. And you can see the training he got through the initiatory schools that taught him in, in Germany and Austria. He says, But the sensations experienced by observing the objects of the outer sense world are different from the sensations experienced when spiritual reality manifests itself in sense-free thinking. The observer of the sense objects experiences the rose as something external to himself. The observer who has surrendered himself to sense-free thought feels the spiritual reality announcing itself as though it existed within him. He feels himself one with it. Whoever, more or less consciously, only admits as real what confronts him like an external object will naturally not be able to have the feeling. Whatever has the nature of being in itself may also announce itself to me by my being united with it, as though I were one with it. In order, in this regard, to see correctly, one must be able to have the following inner experience. One must learn to distinguish between the thought associations one creates arbitrarily and those one experiences in oneself when one silences this arbitrary volition. In the latter case, one may then say, I remain quite silent within myself. I produce no thought associations. I surrender myself to what thinks in me. Then one is fully justified in saying, something possessing the nature of being acts within me. Just as one is justified in saying, a rose acts upon me when I see its red color, when I smell its fragrance. In this connection, there lies no contradiction in the fact that the content of one's thoughts is derived from the communications of the spiritual researcher. The thoughts are indeed already present when one surrenders to them, but one cannot think them if one does not, in every case, 
recreate them anew within the soul. What is important is the fact that the spiritual researcher calls up thoughts in his listeners and readers that they must first draw forth out of themselves, while the one who describes sense reality points to something that may be observed by listeners and readers in the sense world. The path is absolutely safe upon which the communications of spiritual science lead us to sense-free thinking. There is, however, still another path that is safer and above all more exact, but it is also more difficult for many human beings. This path is presented in my books, A Theory of Knowledge Based on Goethe's World Conception and Philosophy of Freedom. These writings offer what human thought can acquire if thinking does not give itself up to the impressions of the physical sensory world, but only to itself. It is then pure thought which acts in the human being like a living entity, and not thought that merely indulges in memories of the sensory. In the writings mentioned above, nothing is inserted from the communications of spiritual science itself, yet it is shown that pure thinking, merely active within itself, may throw light on the problems of world, life, and man. These writings stand at an important point, intermediate between cognition of the sense world and that of the spiritual world. They offer what thinking can gain when it elevates itself above sense observation, while still avoiding entering upon spiritual research. Whoever permits these writings to act upon his entire soul nature stands already within the spiritual world. It presents itself to him however, as a world of thought. He who feels himself in the position to permit such an intermediate stage to act upon him travels a safe path, and through it he is able to gain a feeling toward the higher world that will bear for him the most beautiful fruit throughout all future time. Rudolf Steiner's An Outline of Occult Science The Cognition of the Higher Worlds Initiation Part 4. The object of meditation on the previously characterized symbolic mental images and feelings is, correctly speaking, the development of the higher organs of perception within the human astral body. They are created from the substance of this astral body. These new organs of observation open up a new world, and in this new world, man becomes acquainted with himself as a new ego. The new organs of observation are to be distinguished from the organs of the physical sense world through the fact of their being active organs. Whereas eyes and ears remain passive, permitting light and sound to act upon them, the soul-spirit organs of perception are continually active while perceiving, and they seize upon their objects and facts, as it were, in full consciousness. As much as Steiner makes good points about spiritual development and developing the body of light, it's, I'd be curious to know what, how he would slightly tweak his, his writings and his views if he had the full understanding of science as we know it today, including quantum physics and, and just, well, just biology even, that would, and cognitive sciences. That would be very amazing to see how someone like with his spiritual mind uh, would tackle that things. It seems these days a lot of the people who are really uh, reputable spiritual researchers tend to go off the deep end with modern science and just sort of appropriate it for their own spiritual use rather than actually try and integrate an understanding of how we develop spiritually in harmony with the developing knowledge of science rather than 
simply using it for to make our own points and arguments. Appropriation, as they say. Steiner says, this results in the feeling that soul-spirit cognition is the act of uniting with the corresponding facts, is really a living within them. The soul-spirit organs that are being individually developed may, by way of comparison, be called lotus flowers, according to the forms which they present imaginatively to supersensible consciousness. Granted, it must be clear that such a designation has nothing more to do with the case than the other expression, chamber, has to do with the case when we speak of the chamber of the heart. Through quite definite methods of inner meditation, the astral body is affected in such a way that one or another of the soul-spirit organs, one or another of the lotus flowers, is formed. After all that has been described in this book, it ought to be superfluous to accentuate the fact that these organs of observation are not to be imagined as something that, in the mental representation of its sense image, is a picture of its reality. These organs are supersensible and consist of a definitely formed soul activity. They exist only as far and as long as this soul activity is practiced. The existence of these organs in the human being produces nothing of a sensory character any more than human thinking produces some sort of a physical vapor. Again, it would be interesting to know what his amendments to his thought there with modern cognitive science and understanding of the brain. Whoever insists on visualizing the supersensory as something sensory becomes involved in misunderstandings. And there we have the problem with the wave and rash of modern psychics. In spite of the superfluity of this remark, it is made here because again and again there are those who accept the supersensory as a fact, but who in their thoughts desire only what is sensory, and because again and again there appear opponents of supersensory cognition who believe that the spiritual researcher speaks of lotus flowers as though they were delicate physical structures. Every correct meditation that is made in regard to imaginative cognition has its effect upon one or another organ. In my book, Knowledge of the Higher Worlds and Its Attainment, certain methods of meditation and exercises that affect one or another of the organs are outlined. Proper training sets up the several exercises of the student of the spiritual and arranges them to follow one another so that the organs are able to develop correspondingly, either singly, in groups, or consecutively. Again, we see this a lot with the middle pillar ritual in Western esotericism. In connection to this development, the spiritual student must have great patience and endurance. Anyone having only the measure of patience possessed as a rule by most human beings through the ordinary relationships of life will find that this does not suffice. For it takes a long time, often a very long time, before the organs are sufficiently developed to permit their employment by the spiritual student in perceiving the spiritual world. This is the moment when something occurs for him that may be called illumination. In contrast to the preparation or purification consisting of the exercises that develop the organs, we speak of purification because the corresponding exercises purify the student in a certain sphere of his inner life, of all that springs only from the sensory world of observation. It may happen that the student, even before his actual illumination occurs, may experience repeatedly the flashes of light coming from a higher world. He should accept such experiences gratefully.
through them, he can already become a witness for the spiritual world. But he should not waver if this does not occur during this period of preparation, which may perhaps seem to him altogether too long. If he exhibits any impatience whatever, because he does not yet see anything, he has not yet gained the right attitude toward a higher world. Or I would just say, you have to keep going. You have to keep doing the exercises. It can take some people years. It takes other people's up other people days and months. It's just <laughs> everyone's different. Steiner says, this attitude can only be grasped by someone for whom the exercises performed in his training can be, as it were, an end in themselves. These exercises are, in truth, work performed on the soul-spirit nature, that is to say, on the student's own astral body, and although he sees nothing, he may feel that he is working on his soul-spirit nature. Actually, the point right before that is really key. If you're doing spiritual exercises to achieve certain results or powers, this is something talked about in Kabbalah. The middle path, the middle pillar, is the pillar of consciousness, and the two external pillars, the white and black, Yahin and Boaz, are the pillars of powers or manifest forms and force. And if your goal, as soon as you focus your will or attention on one of the side pillars of force or form, if that is your end, then you cease to rise in consciousness and therefore never develop any powers of force and form in the spiritual life. If, however, one forms a definite opinion right at the beginning of what one actually expects to see, one will not have this feeling. Exactly. Then one will consider as nothing what in truth is of immeasurable significance. But one should be subtly observant of everything one experiences during the exercises, and that is so fundamentally different from all experiences in the sense world. One will then certainly notice that one's astral body upon which one is working is not a neutral substance, but that in it there lives a totally different world of which one knows nothing in one's life of the senses. Higher beings are working upon the astral body, just as the outer physical sensory world works upon the physical body, and one encounters this higher life in one's own astral body if one does not close oneself to it. If someone repeatedly says to himself, I perceive nothing, then in most cases he has imagined that spiritual perception must take place in this or that manner, and because he does not perceive what he imagines he should see, he says, I see nothing. What an excellent point. You can tell Steiner was trained well and knew how to train others. If the student has acquired the right attitude toward the exercises of spiritual training, they will constitute something for him that he loves more and more for its own sake. He then knows that through the practice itself he stands in a world of soul and spirit, and with patience and serenity he awaits what will result. This attitude may arise in the consciousness of the student most favorably in the following words, I will do everything that is proper in the way of exercises, and I know that just as much will come to me at a proper time as is important for me. I do not demand it impatiently, but I am ever ready to receive it. This is absolutely the best spiritual stance to come from for, for such things. And uh, most people, I'd say, who I've witnessed fail or fail in even spectacular fashion, 
definitely all had in common this feeling that they were in it for the wrong reasons. They were in it for this or that goal to achieve this or that thing, to perceive this or that thing. And eventually some of them even convinced themselves that that is what spiritual reality is, the thing they wanted it to be, because they were never open to what it actually is in the first place. It is not valid to object that the spiritual student must thus grope about in the dark, perhaps for an immeasurably long time, for he can only know clearly that he is on the right path in his exercises when the results appear. It is untrue that only results can bring knowledge of the correctness of the exercises. If the student takes the right attitude toward them, he finds that the satisfaction he draws from the practice gives him the assurance that what he is doing is right. He does not have to wait for the results. It's like we say in, in healing work, the, the goal is the, is the action, is the, the practice, not the results. It's the act of doing something holy and sacred that is instantly achieves the results. It's a way of being, not of getting what we want. Correct practice in the sphere of spiritual training calls forth satisfaction that is not mere satisfaction, but knowledge, that is to say, the knowledge that he is doing something with, which convinces him that he is making progress in the right direction. Every spiritual student may have this knowledge at every moment, provided he is subtly attentive to his experiences. If he does not employ this attention, then the experiences escape him. As is the case with the pedestrian who, lost in thought, does not see the trees on both sides of the road, although he would see them were he to direct his attention to them. It is not at all desirable that a result be hastened different from the one that must always occur from correct practice. For this result might easily be only the smallest part of what should actually appear. In regard to spiritual development, a partial success is often the reason for a strong retardation of the complete process. Mm -hmm. The movement among such forms of spiritual life that correspond to the partial success dulls the sensitivity in regard to the influence of the forces that lead to higher stages of evolution. What we may have gained by having peered into the spirit world is only an illusion, for this peering cannot furnish the truth, but only a mirage. And we see that a lot in pathworking, scrying, and meditation, where people are only really encompassing that outer layer of love and happiness and, and good, good feelings, but never seeing really anything nuanced or detailed or complex or even that relates to real precise realities in our world or our lives. They just get this outer sort of uh, outer sunshine but never the substance of the sun itself and the complex heats that will actually burn you and melt you down and transform you. They're just feeling the warm, happy, sunny rays, and that's all they ever want. And that's fine if that's your path. But it's not the path of the initiate. Hermetic Science Enterprises is a publishing company based in Scotland, UK, that specializes in Western esoteric printed literature as well as educational videos. With various imprints under its belt, its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature, alchemical works, Golden Dawn tradition books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. 
Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. For more information to order any of its products, please visit www.hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk That's hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk And as a lot of you know, I've uh, talked with the publisher Lenny on the podcast before, including a six-hour epic uh, extended version on the Patreon, and uh, seen the fine edition of his new grimoire of Scott's Discovery of Witchcraft, which is only available for purchase up to 50 limited copies uh, till the end of May, I believe. So check it out now, hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk.